Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. Farm to Table has been growing in popularity for a number of years, but has been taking off more so during the COVID pandemic. We talked to a young farmer and baker about the challenges they face in the farming and baking industries, but also how they're thriving too. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. We go to the supermarket or local small shop and pick up our groceries and other food items and probably don't even give a second thought as to where it comes from and how it gets to us. Connecticut has a vibrant and extensive farm community, and more and more of these farms are selling directly to their local communities. So just what does it take to be a farmer today and what challenges do farmers face? I visited Full Moon Farm in Hampton in eastern Connecticut recently and met up with Molly Miller and her partner, Trent Haggerty, to find out more. To you both, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm excited to be here. So we are in, Molly, the fabulous farm stand here at Full Moon Farm. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things with you and also with Trent as well, because Trent is a baker, so we've got some great questions we want to ask about his goodies that he creates. Just tell us a little bit about Full Moon Farm, though, if you would, Molly. Yeah, sure. Full Moon Farm was started in 1989 by my parents, um, Rob Miller and Ann Withy. I am now transitioning into managing the farm. We do a mix of vegetables and meat. We do pasture-raised pork, grass-fed beef, free-range chicken eggs, baked goods, flowers, vegetables. We have a small orchard. We do a lot of different things here. People who are listening to this, I mean, it's a beautiful name for a farm. It's an unusual. (laughs) So why is it called Full Moon Farm? There's an amazing moonrise over one of our growing areas, and we just wanted to honor that. Um, through the name. Now Trent, you are a baker. You reside here at Full Moon Farm and, and do some baked goods and, and tell us a little bit about that and how you got into it because that's another tough industry to be in. I mean people just go and buy their bread. I mean obviously we should be buying more sort of like bread from people like yourself but you know otherwise we pop into the supermarket nobody thinks about the stuff that we buy our food. So tell us about what got you into this very tough industry. Yeah so I have two main influences on my baking. Uh, first and foremost I have a ton of different food allergies and um it was has always been challenging for me to find any baked goods but specifically like good breads uh, that i know i can eat and eventually i got a little fed up with that and decided to try my hand at baking it took quite a while to actually get any results that were comparable to anything that i'd be happy purchasing from the store even and then in addition to that uh when i was growing up there was actually an incredibly talented baker uh that lived near me my mom sold his bread at uh farmer's markets for him um his name's gerard rubat and he was a, um, a French sourdough baker, performed an extremely traditional process. And uh, last year, I actually had the opportunity to apprentice under his one apprentice up in Vermont in his original bakery. Gerard, Gerard has since passed on, unfortunately. But so that was qu- quite amazing um, to, to work with the other baker's name. Hilariously enough is Trent uh, Cooper. 
and he is a just an astoundingly talented baker and it was a very very tough apprenticeship I was working sometimes 11 p.m. to 2 p.m. straight through the night and um, all baking with wood-fired ovens and just an amazing process. So um, got, I, I've got some a personal connection and early memories of eating bread baked in that bakery along with, with my food allergies are my main two motivators. You're both very young. I hope you don't mind me revealing to the listeners, but I understand you're 25, Trent, and Molly, you're 24. Now, of course, one of the big criticisms of young people, and you will have heard them many, many times, both of you, oh, you know, young people are either naive or they're not interested in things or they move out of state. So, of course, we lose all of this talent. Yet here you both are working, as I say, in two very tough industries, Molly, why did you want to stay and get involved? I just realized there's an amazing opportunity here. There's an incredible local food system, in, specifically in northeastern Connecticut, but Connecticut as a whole as well. I also love living here. I think it's a great place to live. And I got some perspective on the, the goodness in Connecticut when I moved to Vermont for school. But I was happy to return. There's a lot going on here and a lot of opportunities for young people as long as they're willing to access them. And Trent, you know, the same question to you as well. Like I said, you're a young man, you're in a very challenging industry. You sort of gave part of that story to us earlier anyway about what got you interested. But, you know, what, how does it make you feel when you do hear this constant criticism of young people? So I fight it by example, I guess, is uh, my has always been my mantra. I didn't finish college and I have been uh, partially self-employed as a photographer for uh, several years. Um, I've always been interested in building things and just about anything I can get my hands on. And that leads or lends itself to learning trades that end up being difficult to find information on. Um, and one of those that really, really just hit home with me was baking. It's, it's amazing to see people who um, a lot of our customers are, are older and uh, they were familiar with the artisan hearth breads, you know, the crusty uh, old style breads that, that I bake when they were younger. And they, there just haven't been bakers of that style in the area for quite a while. So it's really wonderful to see a smile on people's faces when they're able to have a product that's of the quality that they're reminiscing of. And in general, it just it's it's wonderful to have be able to create something that makes people so happy of course we live in a time where we have so much choice you know despite the restrictions that covid have brought um, on us and again we're going to talk about that in a moment do you both get the impression that people just don't realize that this type of manufacturing these types of services uh, you know are out there in connecticut that people just maybe don't think uh, that connecticut grows and, and makes things as much as they actually do yeah absolutely i think when people first think of Connecticut, they think of like Fairfield County and the Hartford area and the more urbanized um, areas. But the northwest corner and um, as well as eastern Connecticut, there's a lot of local food production, um, a lot, a lot, a lot. And um, I stress the importance of folks finding a way to access it, whether it's a farmer's market, co-op, a CSA, um, a farm-to-table restaurant. Um, there's so many options in Connecticut for people to access that. Talk to us a little bit, if you would, about, you know, some of the challenges of modern farming, because as we said, apart from, you know, we do hear about farms closing down because maybe, you know, from a generational point of view, the younger people don't want to go into farming sure. or it's just a case of, you know, the farms decided that's it sort of thing because they're, they're tough. I mean, what are some of the challenges that you guys face? 
I mean, the biggest one for me is climate change. The last two seasons have been a great example of the extreme variability that climate change is going to have on the Northeast specifically. It's daunting, but I think it's going to become so important that folks consider it as an option. And I think pest cycles are going to get more um, aggressive and harder to intercept. Talk to us, uh, obviously, about uh, the fact that you've got the the farm stand here. uh, So people, of course, can come to the farm see part of it which yeah. of course is great and obviously buy some of the goods talk to us uh, about that how well that's going and and before we started the conversation and the interview you were saying actually covid's been quite good yeah. for for you and for business so we'll get into that yeah. but yeah talk to us about the farm stand side um so we grow like 500 feet from from the farm stand which i think is super cool people can literally look at our, our growing area from the farm stand It's been a really great thing for the community around here. I mean, there's not a lot of community centers around here. It's it's quite a rural area. So connecting with people over the medium of food is such an honor, and it's so positive for the community in so many different ways. Um, I mean, we're nourishing our neighbors. We're making really valid connections with people. We're having um, consecutive conversations with folks over, you know, the span of the season, and that is that warms my heart so much. Um, I studied community development, and this is just like the plethora of appropriate community development, in my opinion. And, um, you know, obviously when COVID really started to kick in and there were restrictions <clears throat> being placed on obviously everybody, were you finding that more people were coming to, like, uh, your farm stand and maybe your neighbours as well to, to buy produce? Because some of it just wasn't available on the shelves, was oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially um, meats and eggs. There was like a dire need for that. And people were just considering where their food was coming from for the first time ever in a lot of cases. And so we sort of jumped on the opportunity and opened the farm stand up for the 2020 um, season. I was planning on going to grad school, actually. And then I kind of flipped back onto the farm stand and said, this is the right thing to do right now. And it's paid off. Um, We've gained momentum over the 2020 season and just carried that into the 2021 season. And I'm so excited for next season when we can plan a little better for the amount of people that come in and, and the traffic that we're having. It's it's awesome to see. It's so, so great. I'm guessing part of the success, apart from your passion, uh, both of you, in, in what it is you do, is that you do such a good variety of things as well. Because, you know, not knocking any other farm stands, because, you know, even if they sell a few products, that's absolutely great. It, sure. I mean, we should also, like, try and buy more locally grown and support, obviously, our, our farm communities. But you do a wide range of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, And some of that is intentionally like a security blanket. Like if we have a crazy rainy summer and our melon crop fails, well, then the onions will be great because they love water. And it also gives people um, a lot of different choices when they're in here. I think it's aesthetically pleasing and um, which is conducive to people spending. And the pasture raised meats and the grass fed beef, um, that's been a really special part of our whole farm stand as a whole yeah i'm just going to let this give the the listeners a little bit of an idea so we're sat inside the farm stand it's a beautiful it's like fairly large buildings like it's a nice sort of like traditional sort of like farm red outside sort of thing lovely signs it's it's gorgeous inside we're sat near the bar which is obviously you know an area where you do the serving sort of thing but i mean it's got lots of memorabilia around there i can see like honey and like pumpkins i mean it is it is just very inviting yeah And, and so i can see why people you know come in here and sort of and uh, and obviously come right. and, and purchase their goods. I want it to be a clean space. Um, I think that's so important when you're buying food. You don't want to be unappetized while you're buying your dinner. 
and it's a 1901 barn, and this farm has been historically in operation since the um, turn of the century. Um, we've been farming it since 1989. But yeah, this barn came with all these antiques, and we've tried to honor that um, by displaying them, and I think it's special for customers to come in here and get a taste of local history. Talk to us a little bit about your, your mum and dad, uh, because uh, they're still very active, obviously. You know, you have joined them. So tell us a little bit about uh, about that, because they must be very proud, obviously, that uh, you're continuing the tradition, as we, oh, yeah. as we say. But talk to us about them. Um, yeah, so they've been doing this since 1989. My dad has always had a passion for gardening, um, and my mom for just food in general. And so they started off doing farmer's markets, um, restaurants, and they sold to the Willimantic Co-op in the early days of that. And then in 2010, we decided to open the farm stand. And then we took a little hiatus while I was in school. And then I came back and we're um, looking at you know advancing our plan generally, gen- generally, generationally. Yeah, <laughs> that's the word. And yeah, I think that's really gratifying for them. And I think that's how real progress in land management is made through generations. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff going on here, and it all started with them, really. Trent, I'm going to come back to you because we don't don't want to have you sat there not answering some questions for us. <laughs> talk to us about your day because, like we said, a very challenging industry you work in. And so just talk to us about, you know, what is a typical day? I mean, I'm guessing you get up pretty early. Yeah, so I have had some some pretty early days and it's, you know, as I grow, I'm able to afford more equipment that allows me to sleep a little bit more. But when I started out, uh, I was producing sourdough that takes about seven or eight hours from start of mixing to my bake and uh, I was doing that at room temperature so I pretty much was at I, the mercy of the yeast and the bacteria in the dough that, um, that dictated my schedule so in order to get that to a farm stand at 9am on time I have to get up pretty early it was pretty much nocturnal for a little while I have since purchased a, uh, a refrigeration unit that I control with a um, like a DIY thermometer um, controller that allows me to keep it at a higher temperature about 50 55 degrees and I'm able to cold proof my dough as it's called which um, slows down the rise lets me go to bed I still have to get up fairly early because it takes a while to bake a lot of bread. So my day currently looks like I wake up, depending on how much baking I'm doing, anywhere from about 3 a.m. to 4.45 to get the oven started. And then uh, while the first batch of bread is baking, I'm mixing my batch for the next day. Depending on how much I'm doing, I can go till 8 p.m. at night. As I I learn more and I get a little better at this, things start to get a little bit tighter schedule-wise, but... It is, it is a lot of work. It's incredibly gratifying. It is, it is tough, yes. <laughs> and apart from just uh, you know, the sheer magnitude of, of doing that, you deliver it as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's something um, that, you know, I think right now I bake under a uh, cottage food uh, license, which requires that I am, I am the person or a designated person, which is, you know, Molly um, is, uh, is the one selling or handing off the bread. So that in itself, there's some limitations with that, but at the same time, it, it allows me to um, keep customer relations. Uh, I, you know, I, I, as Molly mentioned, it's we're, we're super important to our community, and it's great to be able to maintain that relationship to the customers as well. Because frequently, I am sleeping or baking <laughs> while the farm stand is open, so I don't get to see people as much as Molly does. But um, 
it is nice to to be able to put a face to everybody's name. Obviously, since you've been doing this, sort of uh, apart from you know the amazing bread that that you bake, and I'm sure you get lots of reaction about that. You know, what sort of other general comments do you get from from your customers? You know, by you know these these conversations that you have, because I'm guessing they must be pretty proud of you as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's really uh, it is very nice to see. A wonderful reaction from people who are so excited to see bread that just doesn't look like anything else in that that they have available in the area. In addition to that, I have a, a lot of conversations about the nutrition of my bread with my customers, and I'm I use a uh, sifted whole wheat flour from that's regionally grown and milled um, up in Maine by Maine Grains, and that along with the benefits of eating a, f- a fermented dough over a uh, like a commercially yeast leavened dough. There's a, there's a lot of just it's it's such a better better product for you to ingest and uh, healthier to consume on, and you know bread is something that uh, gluten has been villainized uh, for for good and bad reasons over past decade and um, but you know the, the matter of fact is humans have been eating bread for all of history and it's it is something that I'm able to communicate to my customers and see them enjoy something that is healthy for them so that's wonderful yeah I was going to say it must be absolutely incredible for them to speak to the person who is actually responsible for making the product yeah. that they're eating you know not and not knocking salespeople, but it's like to be able to get that knowledge and speak you know to that person who's got that expertise so they must really appreciate that absolutely and on top of that handing them still warm bread fresh out of the oven that's that's uh adds to that sense of locality to it it's just one of those staples isn't it that you just can't resist like you said warm bread is uh, oh, it's magical for I'm, people. I'm getting hungry just yes. thinking about it right now so molly tell us a little bit about your day as well because again you've got you know long hours that you do so give us an idea of a typical molly day yeah well i have um a bunch of livestock this season we did 10 pigs um we have three cows right now i have 50 laying chickens and a hobby flock of sheep And obviously they require a daily routine, so that looks like making sure that they have enough food, clean water, clean um, like living quarters, make sure everybody's happy, healthy. Um, So that takes up most of my morning, and um, it's something I really love about farming. But aside from that routine, my day-to-day never really looks the same, and it of course changes with the seasons. But I spend most of my time maintaining our market garden and our production areas, And so that, from start to finish, looks like seeding, preparing beds, transplanting, weeding, pruning, harvesting at the right time. Um, You can't harvest too early, too late. Dealing with pests, and after I've harvested, processing what I've harvested, and then finally, retailing. So yeah, there's no typical day, but... That's, again, something I really love about this um, career choice. It's it's really special. And I guess also, you know, you're sort of like advocating or sort of like in contact with, you know, local authorities as well and like the state. I mean, how do you feel sort of like by way of the support mechanisms that are out there? Because I think sometimes often the media sort of likes to criticise, sure. you know, state organisations and whatever and says, oh, you know, they make it tougher farmers. And, you know, I'm not trying to get political here, but do you feel that you get, you know, support uh, and that there are like mechanisms out there for farmers? I do. Um, UConn Extension is incredible, and they are state-funded, of course. It's a public land-grant university. But Rebecca Toms, um, who is the coordinator for this area, does pro bono marketing. Um, She compiles a list of farms in the area and what exactly they're producing. 
and I always feel that I can look to their online resources or their in-person resources if I have questions. And they're very thorough, and their research is up to date, and most importantly, their research is specific to this area of, you know, New England, um, and that is so valuable in my opinion. And then what do you both do in your free time, in the little amount of free time that you probably have? <laughs> Ooh. Oh, um, so I still run a, uh, a photography business on the side, um, something I've done for the past couple of years on and off. Whew. I do... I do bake a lot in my free time for yes. personal use. Yeah, I'm pretty obsessed with bread. It's 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 <laughs> nice to find something that's so wonderful and you know is um it's even if your recipe fails, you still have fresh bread to eat. Apart from the bread, what are your other things that you like to bake? Oh, um, you know, bread is really there's so many different kinds of bread. Uh, so I'm primarily a bread baker. Um, I do experiment a little bit with some pastry and uh, other like traditional French baked goods. Um, it's definitely, I mean, it's a, that is a whole different world of challenging in its own right, and also requires quite a bit of different equipment. Uh, we do some pizza. We do pizza oh, fairly yeah. often. Pizza. Night. Um, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, on top of that, I, I'm a musician. I, I play, I've been playing guitar pretty much my whole life, a whole bunch of different, like, bluegrass string instruments. I love to fish. We love the outdoors. Yeah, it's I was going to say I'm fully addicted to being outside, so I spend most of my time, free time, accessing all the wonderful natural resources around here. And some of the uh, one of the benefits to you know being on, in such a beautiful place and a farm is we we do spend a decent amount of free time socializing with the animals with the, yeah, the sheep and absolutely. the donkey that live across the street from us. <laughs> wonderful. Socializing on another scale. I mean, what about friends? I mean, do you have time for you know to socialize with your friends? And and do you have um, many other friends who are sort of like in the in the farming baking sort of or have you got quite a diverse group? Um, I have a quite a diverse group, but um, I have some really good friends who are completely in touch with the local food system and I love having conversations with them and I love using them as like a check and balance for my practices. I worked with one of my good friends this past spring and that was so fun. That was a nice crossover of socialization and work, which is somewhat necessary for for farming, something so intense as farming. You know, with uh, the pandemic and having limited social access to people, especially, um, you know, having people around, around me, myself included, that are immunocompromised, it can be difficult to, and it was incredibly difficult to socialize. But what came out of that, I think, is a lot of my friends personally, at least, were uh, we've, we found ways to reconnect through uh, online activities with each other. Um, I've always been big into computer gaming, so that's helpful to have something right off the bat. But you get tired of that after a little while. I picked up Dungeons and Dragons. It's been <laughs> absolutely wonderful um, playing with a group of people who all have never played that before. And uh, it's, you know, there's, there's, you find new ways to socialize in a, in a different living environment, especially um, I, I moved here right at the onset of the pandemic lockdown. So this, um, you know, is especially challenging moving to a new area and not being able to meet anyone new mm. but uh you know you find that the area is absolutely beautiful and we can really just find wonderful outdoor activities to do with friends and yeah well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both and it's nice to see that um, the future of our food systems are in very good and very capable hands and uh, thank you ever so much for taking time out of both of your incredibly busy days thank you so much thank you, uh, so to, talk much. to us. thank you this is wonderful
And you can find out more details about Full Moon Farm at their website, fullmoonfarmct.com. And to find other farms in eastern Connecticut, visit freshplease.net and download their handy and informative phone app. Wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Winter is coming, so think about preparing your plants and trees for the season. Green Valley Tree LLC can help prepare your trees to withstand heavy snow, ice, and wind with cabling, trimming, and removal. We also do pruning. In fact, we do it all. Call Green Valley Tree LLC today on 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. Long Island Sound is getting a multi-million dollar cash injection from President Biden's newly passed bipartisan infrastructure bill. The Sound will receive around $106 million to help improve water quality, restore habitats and mitigate the impacts of climate change. Congressman Joe Courtney was one of the legislators, along with environmental groups, who advocated for the funding. This is a very busy sound. You know, we have a lot of commercial boat traffic. We have a lot of economic activity in the coast commercial fishermen, obviously the shipyard up in in Groton. What this funding is about is allowing all that activity to coexist with water quality and strengthening the environment in this region. Bill Lucy is the Long Island Soundkeeper and said one of the biggest problems over the years has been untreated stormwater from towns and cities, and he praised the city of New London for cleaning up theirs. Modern stormwater management. New London here is a model for the entire state of Connecticut. And the way they've been dealing with their stormwater, we need that everywhere. And we need state-of-the-art wastewater treatment systems. So while we do all this work to clean up the sound, we're not putting the pollution right back in. The money will be split between Connecticut and New York with an emphasis on cleaning up stormwater, which drains into the sound that carries damaging pollutants. A new restaurant in New London has turned to using robots to help staff itself because of employee shortages in the state. Gulshan Sony is one of the partners at the Shaking Crab restaurant and says they had to innovate if they were to open for business. They are very helpful to the staff. When we have a less staff, we send them to a couple of tables. They go over there and that innovation idea is very good. When robots are working very well right now, that's helped us to grow our business. The two robots use a mix of technology to get around the restaurant and find the tables they have food for using cameras and magnetic strips in the restaurant floor. Sony says it's a big investment for them as the two robots cost around $30,000 and time will tell if they will pay for themselves. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, former New London Mayor Daryl Fenizia was running for state Senate, challenging Deputy Republican Senate leader Paul Formica in next November's election. Fenizio led New London from 2011 to 2015 and also works as an attorney. Formica was first elected to the state Senate in 2014 with 56% of the vote. He won re-election in 2016 with 60% of the vote against Democrat Ryan Henowitz and beat off challenges from Democrat Martha Marks in his two next races, though by smaller margins. 
CT Examiner spoke with Fenizio about his campaign and policy priorities if elected, and you can read the full article at their website, ctexaminer.com. In the day this week, citing high vaccination rates and a dropping number of COVID-19 infections, New London and Groton have agreed to lift an indoor mask mandate. New London and Groton were the last municipalities in southeastern Connecticut to maintain a mask mandate despite calls for a regional approach to combat the spread of COVID-19. Norwich ended its mandate, which had lasted two months on October 22nd. The move comes with guidance from Ledgelight Health District and Centres for Disease Control and Prevention. Stephen Mansfield, Director of Health for Ledgelight, said in a statement that 81.7% of residents of New London County are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, making it the second highest rate of vaccination among the state's eight counties. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, for the first time this year, the superintendent of Norwich Public Schools held her coffee hour in person. Designed to respond to parents' questions, this one came during an evening and featured pizza and soda. But those offerings did little to deflect a series of hard questions from parents who are increasingly worried over what they characterised as a lack of communication from administrators over a string of concerning, sometimes violent behaviour reported in schools across the district this year. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.